0: People that are trying to find a life and live it on their own. But how will they hear if we don't go and share a new life of love in Christ alone? We have a sole purpose, a sole purpose, a purpose to please our Lord. to our loving lord we're a witness to our loving lord the lord said go and tell them of a mansion up in heaven it's a place prepared for you and for me don't live a life of fear just hold that promise dear that jesus up in heaven we shall see we have a soul perfect A sole purpose, a purpose to please our Lord. People to speak to and souls to rescue. A witness to our loving Lord. We're a witness to our loving Lord. We have a sole purpose, a sole purpose. a witness to our loving Lord. We're a witness to our loving Lord.
1: Good, amen. Well, praise the Lord. That's our theme, of course, soul purpose, and what a great little song that is that we've been able to have written, and that's a good one, boy. That's got a great message to it. Well, we want to take uh, just a few moments today to of course, remember those fallen heroes, as well as we're going to try to remember the Lord today as well. But Memorial Day, as we said, is set aside in our nation in order to honor U.S. military uh, who have died while serving in the United States Armed Forces. And again, it's a little different than just uh, Veterans Day. Of course, veterans, we recognize all veterans, uh, both living and those that have gone on, but uh, today, uh, or at least come tomorrow, we're going to be remembering those that are fallen heroes, those that gave their life literally. Uh, the, uh, the, the, the statistics tell us that about 1.2 million Americans have paid the ultimate sacrifice to afford the freedoms and, uh, that we often take for granted. And, uh, you know, just the American Civil War, we saw 620,000 people die. That's a lot of people you got to understand that uh, that was between 1861 and 1865, and during that time, the population of the United States was only 31,400,000 people. I want you to think about that. That means that one in five people died. That's an amazing statistic. It's unbelievable, actually, when you think about it. But uh, World War II came, of course, and, uh, of course, that was a, a major conflict, and that's where we had the next greatest amount of people that uh, died in battle, 405,000 people died. And again, in that time, there was 132 million people in the United States, which means that 0.3 percent or one in every 300 died. Uh, big difference uh, compared to, say, the American Civil War. And then of course, each war has uh, percentage-wise gotten less, but the numbers still continue uh, to. Can you turn me down just a little? I feel like I'm, I'm a little bit too hot here today. Uh, but uh, we have, of course, uh, World War One. We lost 116,516. Vietnam War was 58,209. We had the uh, just. Uh, we have this war on terrorism, of course, that began in 2001, base or excuse me, 1991, that has con- uh, continued on and on. Um, actually, 2001, I think it was, and it's continued now for over 20 years. And uh, we've seen about 7,000 people die there. We've seen the golf ward, only 258 died. Praise the Lord for that. That's the one I was supposed to go to. And thankfully, I'd, I was very grateful I didn't have to go. They did such a great job there on the field that it, uh, I never got called in. Uh, so that was great for me. I was very thankful. But hey, listen, what, let me ask you a question. What's the value of a life, though? You say, well, only 258? Yeah, only 258, unless it's one of your loved ones or family members. Boy, I'll tell you what, the cost of war has been high in the United States and the cost of freedom and our liberties are uh, very expensive. And uh, to give one's life for others is the ultimate sacrifice, isn't it? It really is. Memorial Day is a day to remember those who did just that and uh, to recognize and remember those that laid down their lives to ensure the liberties and to, that have died to protect and to provide our freedoms for us. And we're grateful for them and, uh, and their families. Uh, can't even imagine uh, what they've gone through. Um, remember their sacrifice. Remember their sacrifice. Well, this morning, I also want to remember someone who fought the battle for our souls. In 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8, the Bible says, Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary the devil is a roaring lion. Walketh about seeking whom he may devour. Boy, the devil's on the hunt, and he seeks to take captive and condemn all humanity to hell. But 2,000 years ago, Jesus paid the ultimate price in order to rescue our souls from the evil clutches of Satan, and to provide us with liberty and freedom. He did that for us 2,000 years ago. And I want to remember his sacrifice today. And so I want to have a word of prayer, and we're going to talk just a few minutes about His sacrifice, and we'll see what God will do in our midst today. Father, we come to You. We thank You again, Lord, for just the many men and women who did indeed pay the ultimate price by laying down their lives that we could even meet here without fear of prison or bodily harm. We thank You for the liberties that we have in America, and for those freedoms that we do have. We pray that we would continue to exercise those and not allow people to simply take them away. We ask, Lord, that you would continue to bless this service, and may you walk each aisle, and, Lord, may you be magnified and exalted. You're so worthy of our praise, and we're praying that, Lord, you would show up in a mighty way this morning. Lord, in our midst there may be those who have yet to receive and accept Jesus Christ, who have not settled their soul salvation, who are still bound by Satan, and ultimately, Father, locked in to his so-called family and, unfortunately, their future. I pray, dear God, that you would just help us, Father, to present you, the Lord Jesus Christ, in a very powerful way. That, Lord, you would be able to do a supernatural work in their life like you did in mine and others here. We need you to deliver us. We thank you again for just the sacrifices you made as well. And we're just asking that you'd bless our service. Walk these aisles and bring conviction to our hearts and change to our lives. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. May I simply be your mouthpiece. Father, may you be with every listening ear. And again, Lord, may you anoint them that they may hear with spiritual ears and ultimately receive and accept your word and then heed it. We'll thank you in Christ's name. Amen. We think about his sacrifice. Well, you know, Jesus sacrificed his riches. He sacrificed his riches. Take your Bible, turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 9. 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 9. What a tremendous sacrifice Jesus made on our behalf. He sacrificed his riches. In 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 9, the Apostle Paul is writing, of course, to the church at Corinth, and he makes this statement in his writing here. It's under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. In 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 9, he says, For ye know... He says, you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. He's talking now to the church and he's saying, listen now, you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. You who are part of the body of Christ. You who are part of the church. Why? Because in order to be part of the church, you need to be part of the body. You have to have experienced the grace of God. We talk about church membership and we say a saved or a a born again or just a, a redeemed people. You can't become a member of Community Baptist Temple unless you first have received and accepted Christ, which means you've received and accepted the grace of our Lord. And he says to the church at Corinth, he says simply, for ye know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. And he goes on to say that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor. Though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, that ye through his poverty might be rich. I mean, you think about that for a minute. The Lord Jesus Christ there, uh, basking in, 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 in the abode of heaven, having a wonderful time there where he's waited on hand and foot by the angelic, uh, angelic crew, if you will. Man, he doesn't have a care or a need in the world, if you will, if indeed he chooses not to. And yet the Bible tells us that he's willing to abandon that richness, if you will. Abandon those wonderful things and that environment in which he's in. And he comes to earth and he gives up his riches. And he takes on poverty so that you and I can be rich. You talk about a sacrifice. I'm always amazed at how many want to redistribute wealth today in America. But the ones who are talking it the most don't want to give up all theirs. And yet Jesus Christ today, my friend, is, was willing to give it all up. He gave it all up. I don't know about you, but if I was living in a mansion in the United States of America and I had people waiting on me and I had food of any type or any kind I wanted and I had a nice car and a beautiful home and a beautiful family and everything else that went with it, my friend, it'd be hard to say, I'm moving out and I'm giving everything else to that one down there that has nothing. I'll take their place and they can take my place. You say, I'd do it. Man, I sure hope you get the chance. And my friend, by the way, you probably could. Tomorrow you could just go ahead and give your house to somebody that's sitting at the corner of a street and give it to them. But my friend, I got this sneaking suspicion it's a lot easier said than done. And I want you to know that Jesus Christ didn't just talk about it, he did it. He sacrificed his riches. I love that. Though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, that ye through his poverty might be rich. He gave it all up so that we could experience his richness. Wonderful sacrifice on our behalf. That was wonderful for us. Hold on. Number two, Jesus sacrificed his reputation. Now again, understand when I talk about his reputation, I'm talking about how he was viewed on earth. We know who Jesus is. We know according to Colossians chapter 1 that he's the creator of the universe. We know this. We understand that he is Emmanuel, God with us while on earth. We know this. However, the world did not recognize him as that. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 verse 21. For he hath made him to be sin for us who knew no sin that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. Jesus sacrificed his reputation. He took on sin. He literally became wicked in the sight of humanity, even, and even in the sight of God, ultimately. He literally took your sin in his own body on the tree. He paid the ultimate price for us. But as he walked these dusty trails of Galilee, people looked at him and they mocked him, maligned him, mistreated him. They treated him like a common criminal. His reputation drug through the mud. For you and I, he could have called ten thousand angels. We know this, but he didn't. He says to Peter, "Whom say thou that I am? Who do they say I am? Whether well, well, one of the prophets or Elijah or some? Well, who do you say?" And of course, Jesus had the. I mean, uh, Peter had the right answer, but ask a Pharisee, ask a Sadducee. Ask a religious leader of that day who Jesus was. He's a phony. He's a fraud. He's a big zero. He's a nothing. He's an instigator, an insurrectionist. Boy, they had all kinds of names for Jesus. He sacrificed his reputation. And in Philippians chapter 2, turn there, would you? Philippians 2, verse 6. Philippians chapter 2, verse 6. Say, I still don't buy it. Well, this passage will prove it. Look what it says here in Philippians 2 6 who, being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation. Huh. And took upon him the form of a servant, and was made in likeness of men, and being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Made himself of no reputation. He said, you know what, I know what and who I am, but I'm going to function with no reputation here. I'm willing to give up my reputation so that ultimately you can be remembered. He sacrificed his riches. He sacrificed his reputation. Jesus sacrificed his body. He sacrificed his body. Turn to Isaiah chapter 53. Isaiah chapter 53. Look at verse 4. I, again, some of my favorite passages right here. I love this passage. Isaiah chapter 53, verse 4. Surely he hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions, he was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We've turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord had laid upon him the iniquity of us all. Now what a powerful passage it is. The Lord Jesus Christ, the Bible says, bore our griefs. He carried our sorrows. He was wounded for our transgressions, bruised for our iniquities. What is he saying? He's saying, listen... He went ahead and paid the price for everything we deserved. Isn't that wonderful? Now again, it's a heinous thing. It's a horrible thing to think that Jesus Christ, who is the creator of all the universe and God himself, would submit himself to mankind, his very creation, and allow them, as we said earlier, to to mistreat him, to malign him, to horribly just even persecute. And I mean, think about the horrific Ordeal the cross was. To submit to that kind of torture. And yet he did it all for us. It's amazing, really. He offered his body up. He gave himself 100% for you and I. We often talk about this from a standpoint of a substitutionary death. We talk about the idea that, that you and I, as Sinners deserve to go to Calvary. We deserve to die. The Bible says the wages of sin is death. Well, Jesus Christ, of course, was sinless, and he was perfect. According to 1 Peter, we know this to be the case, and yet he still died. Why? Because the Bible says he became sin for us who knew no sin that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. That's called a substitutionary death. Daniel, come on up. Literally what that means is that means that literally, Daniel deserving to die, because he's definitely a sinner, look at it. It's quite obvious here. Anybody this tall at his age has to be a sinner. <laughs> a compromising sinner. You know, I always wanted to be at least six feet tall. 5'11 would have been okay. I'd settle for 5'9 and a half. Maybe even five nine, But nonetheless, the fact is, is that Daniel represents the sinner. And can I tell you that he deserves to die according to the Bible because of his sin. That's the wage of sin, which is death. And we understand that that word death cannot be fully comprehended or understood without going to Revelation chapter 20, verse 14, when the Bible says, And death and hell were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. So the Bible teaches there are two deaths, one physical and one spiritual. The physical to be separated from family, loved ones, and friends. And yet the second is to be eternally separated from the Lord Jesus Christ forever in a place called the lake of fire. And yet that is the fate of every sinner born into sin, living in sin, and will die in their sin without Jesus Christ. And so Daniel here, he represents the sinner, and the Bible says he deserves to die. Jesus Christ literally, 2,000 years ago, came to earth and lived a sinless, perfect life. He did not deserve to die. He fulfilled the law, the Bible says. He's the only one that ever kept the law, the Ten Commandments, flawlessly. And yet he was willing to substitute for us to take our place on Calvary. Instead, he says, Daniel, I'll tell you what, you come on over here and let me die in your place. And Jesus took Daniel's place on Calvary. He paid the sin debt. Death. You say, that's physical death. Yeah, well, if Jesus returns, guess what he won't even experience? Physical death. But not only that, he escapes spiritual death because that's the definition. It's a physical and spiritual thing. The truth is, is that we all die. That's proof positive that we're all sinners. But we, will not, we do not have to die the second time. We don't have to die a spiritual death because Jesus Christ took our place. However, Jesus Christ taking our place is not enough. Just because he died on the Calvary, on Calvary, it's not enough. Just because he shed his perfect precious blood for you is not enough. The Bible says, for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. It's not enough that he died for you. You have to call on him. You have to make his sacrifice personal. You have to actually acknowledge what he did. He did for you. He didn't just do it for everybody, although he did, but he did it for me. And when you make that personal and you ask the Lord Jesus Christ to forgive you of your sin and to come into your life and you receive Him as your Savior, my friend, He takes that blood that was shed on Calvary and He applies it to your sinful life. It washes your sin away and you become perfect in the eyes of the Lord Jesus. And you can escape eternal death. Thanks, Daniel. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. And the chastisement of our peace was upon him. With his stripes we are healed. He sacrificed his body for us. He gave it all. Turn, if you would, to 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 22. We see that again there in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 22. Isaiah chapter, excuse me, 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 22. Notice the Bible says there, who did no sin, neither was guile found in his mouth. That's about as plain as it gets, isn't it? Referring and speaking about Jesus Christ, he said, who did no sin. Someone say, do you believe Jesus was a sinner? Well, you know, I mean, it's kind of hard to believe he wasn't. So you're saying you don't believe he is, then? You you believe he was a sinner? Well, I don't know. I'm just saying it would have been kind of hard to believe. Either he isn't or he is. What do you believe about Jesus? Here's the question, though. What does the Bible say about Jesus? Well, if the Bible says that he is without sin, as the Bible says here in 1 Peter, notice he says again in the passage, who did no sin then that's exactly what the Bible means. So here's the question. Do you believe in a biblical Jesus or one of your building? You, you can create your own Jesus if you like. Well, my Jesus is a very good man. My Jesus grew up in a, his home and honestly, he probably was a, just like every other kid, a really big fat sinner. Oh, really? Okay. I thought, who did know sin? See, you've created a Jesus. Well, my Jesus loves everybody the same and it doesn't matter what they do or what they say, they're all going to heaven. Okay, is that what the Bible, the the, the Jesus of the Bible is all about? Is that what it says about him? In the Bible, that is. Because it doesn't matter. See, in the end, you can have an opinion of who Jesus is. You can create your own Jesus in your own mind. You can come up to your own conclusion and say, Well, this is who I believe Jesus is and what he's all about. And that's fine. Go ahead and do that. However, you'll be sadly disappointed one day because when you're judged, you won't be judged based on your own criteria. You'll be judged based on the Word of God's criteria. And can I tell you that unless you receive and accept the Jesus of the Bible, you've not accepted and received Jesus at all. And again, it's not a matter of trying to be cantankerous or confrontational. It's a matter of being scriptural and truthful. The Bible is truth. Thy word is truth. He says, sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. Wait, sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. Thy word is truth. Thy word is truth. truth. Listen, I'm going to tell you what, I have no problem going to school and learning my ABCs and how to add and subtract, but friend, you want the real truth, you better get in the word of God, because that's where truth truly lies. Create Jesus, make him whoever you choose, picture him the way you see him in your own mind, but my friend, one day you'll not be judged from that Jesus, you'll be judged from this one. It's important that we understand that it's not about what we believe or what we think. It's about what he says, and that's what really matters. He gave his body. He literally laid down his life. Who did no sin, neither was guile found in his mouth. Who, when he was reviled, he reviled not again. When he suffered, he threatened not. But committed himself to him that judgeth righteously. Who, his own self, bare our sins in his own body on the tree that we being dead to sin should live under righteousness by whose stripes we are healed. We were healed. Jesus sacrificed his body for you. He laid down his life. He gave his all for you and for me. David Livingston. David Livingston was a Scottish missionary and an explorer who spent 33 years in the heart of Africa He endured a number, I mean, a a ton of suffering. I mean, we just can't hardly wrap our minds around it. But as he labored there to spread the gospel and open up the continent to other missionaries, he suffered greatly. He once remarked, and he said these words. He said, quote, People talk of the sacrifice I have made in spending so much of my life in Africa. Can that be called a sacrifice which is simply paid back as a small part of a great debt owing to our God, which we can never repay? It is emphatically no sacrifice. Say rather, it is a privilege. Anxiety, sickness, suffering, or danger now and then with a foregoing of the common conveniences and charities of this life may make us pause and cause the spirit to waver and the soul to sink, but let this only be for a moment. All these are nothing when compared with the glory which shall hereafter be revealed in us and for us. I never made a sacrifice. Of this we ought not to talk. When we remember the great sacrifice which He made, who left his father's throne on high to give himself for us. Wow, I'll tell you what a powerful statement. That is no sacrifice, David Livingston said. Oh, there are times when my heart grows weary and I think about the many things that I've left behind in the States. But the fact is, is when I compare it to the sacrifice of Jesus Christ in my life and all the benefit that I have because of Him, it's no sacrifice. It's a privilege. So what motivated this great sacrifice? Well, love did, didn't it? Love, sacri- love brought this on. It motivated this great sacrifice. Most of us in the room have heard and maybe even could quote John three sixteen. for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. But hold on. Jesus himself said in John chapter 15, verse 13, greater love hath no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. Boy, did Jesus ever lay down his life. No greater love. No greater love. so you're lost today. You don't know for sure if you would go to heaven. You're not convinced that heaven's your home when you die. You you may believe there's a God in heaven and you may even say, I'm convinced that Jesus Christ came to earth 2,000 years ago. But my friend, has there been a time and a place when you've acknowledged your sinfulness before a holy God and invited Jesus Christ into your life and said, Lord Jesus, I'm that sinner you died for. I'm the one that needs you in my life. I asked you to come into my life. I asked you to save my soul. I asked you to take me to heaven. Only you can do that and I can't trust anyone or anything else but you to do it I hope and pray before you leave today you'll do that if you haven't already but what about you and myself who already know the Lord maybe we've put our faith and trust in Christ what should our response as believers be to Jesus' great sacrifice on our behalf well, I believe that it's found over in the book of Luke, chapter 10, verse 37. Would you turn there, please? And again, we're going to look at a passage here often referred to as the Good Samaritan passage. You say, why are we looking at that? Because I believe that the Good Samaritan represents Jesus Christ. And when you say, how's that? Well, there's one here who comes and rescues those that are helpless and hopeless, places them in, uh, uh, in a position in a place where they can then become strong and grow in strength and, and, and then returns for them. Wait a second, that sounds a lot like Jesus. He comes and rescues those that are helpless and hopeless. He places them in the local church where they can grow and are strengthened until he returns for them. So what advice does he give now? He gives this advice to this, this, this lawyer, if you will. And he said... Chapter 10, verse 37 of Luke. He that showed mercy on him, that's the one who's the good neighbor, right? That's what, that's what the man said. He said, the lawyer says, he says, who's the good, who is the, the neighbor now? Who is his neighbor? And the man that was speaking to Jesus says, well, the one who, I guess it's, the one who showed him mercy, the one who showed mercy to him. Look at how Jesus responds to him. He says, go and do thou likewise. Well, the Samaritan did what he did, and he represents Jesus Christ. He's saying to the man, you go and do what I did, basically. He's saying to you and I, you go and do what I've done. You go and give your life. You say, whoa, wait a second now, I don't want to die on a cross. That's not exactly what he's implying either, by the way. In Scripture, we're going to see that there's a little more to it than that. But Jesus Christ is saying, you go and do thou likewise. I want you, if you would, please turn over to the book of Romans. Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. Notice this particular passage. Again, a very powerful one. Again, we're dealing with those who have already placed their faith and trust in Christ. But notice the advice that that is given now by the Apostle Paul to the church at Rome. The same exact advice that Jesus gives to this lawyer when referring to the Samaritan. Go and do that likewise. Do what the Samaritan did. In essence, do what I would have done. Watch watch this now in Romans 12. I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God. That ye present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. The Apostle Paul then kind of defines it go and do thou likewise. Do what? Sacrifice your body. What do you mean, sacrifice my body? Do as Jesus did? Yeah, that's exactly what he did. He laid his life down. Can I tell you that Christ expects us, who know him, to lay our lives down? It may not be a physical laying down of our life. He's not asking us to go and literally necessarily say, would you please kill me? That's not what he's asking. He's saying, give me your life. Lay down your body. Surrender yourself to me completely and wholly, Notice he says, I beseech you therefore by the mercies of God. We talk about this often and I bring it up frequently, but the fact is is that this takes place in chapter 12. And can I tell you for 11 chapters, the Lord Jesus Christ has been giving Paul, the apostle, these great insights into the mercies of God as he looks at salvation and sanctification and glorification. And he says, look at all these mercies that God has bestowed upon you as believers. Now in light of those first 11 chapters, in light of all those mercies, I beseech you therefore by the mercies of God that you present your bodies a living sacrifice. I don't ask you to do this without warranted reason. Man, everything God has done for you, think about everything he's done and I'm asking you on behalf of everything that Christ has done for you now you do what you got to do for him. Present your body a living sacrifice. Present yourselves that living sacrifice. Wow. Wow. I don't know about you, but it seems to me he says it's our reasonable service. That's what he says. Is I'm not asking you to do something that's outrageous. I'm not asking you to do something that is outlandish. I want you to do what's just natural and normal for someone that has been blessed with so many blessings. Present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. Whew. Wow. That's what he expects of us as believers. Where's one of my ushers? Bring me up an offering plate. Bring me an offering plate up. Thank you, sir. This morning, for the believer today, the Lord's saying, listen, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercy of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice. He's saying, I want you to present yourself an offering unto God. I want you to step into the offering plate and give your life to me. I'm not asking you to necessarily go out and take a life or your own. I'm asking you to give it. Step into that offering plate and you Submit yourself. You surrender yourself to me. You make yourself that offering. Man, it's not hard sometimes. I know it can be difficult. We reach into our wallets and we pull out some money. And we throw it in an offering plate and we say, man, that hurt a little bit. But you know what? It don't hurt as much as giving yourself, does it? Giving yourself is a lot more difficult than throwing in a couple bucks. Or even a lot sometimes. It's easy to throw in a lot, but to have to give yourself up as a sacrifice? People are all about, you preachers, all you ever do is preach on money. I tell you what, how about we just preach on you giving yourself for a while? Because if you give yourself, it all comes with, hey, by the way, last time I checked, that wallet is on my person. All right There it is. If I jump in that offering plate, guess where this thing goes? I'm just saying, there's nothing that God don't have if I give myself. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercy of God, you present your bodies as a living sacrifice. What he's saying simply is, is this, go and do that likewise. I laid my life down. I went ahead and helped the helpless. I went and took and offered myself my body on Calvary. I gave up my riches. I gave up my reputation. I gave up my body. I did it all for you. Go and do likewise. Give it all up for me. I got this sneaking suspicion that come tomorrow, I'll still own my house. Oh, I don't really own it. (laughs) Oh, the bank. But anyway, you know what I'm saying. He's not necessarily going to go, oh, by the way, Mark, okay, sell your house now. Give me all your money. You got all your clothes. I'll let you have two sets of clothes, and that's it. You offer it all. That's not what he's talking about. He's saying, give me you. If I got you, then anything I will want or ever could have wanted from you will be mine if I ask for it. But you know, it's funny how God is. He lets us. He just gives us so many blessings. He meets so many needs in our life. He wants us to put it all in an offering plate. He wants us to present ourselves a living sacrifice. It's not easy, is it? To Do what God wants us to do sometimes. Following Pearl Harbor, the U.S. went into full battle mode. It'd only be six months after that the Doolittle Raid was launched. It'd be the first mission to bring the war to Japanese soil. Unfortunately, 16 B-25 bombers in the raid failed to find their intended landing strips in Free China. Fifteen of them went down in enemy-occupied territory. Most of the crews escaped. They were smuggled out by the Chinese resistance. Of course, it was a great risk and a great cost to lives. But unfortunately, Sergeant Dechazer and seven other airmen were captured by the Chinese. They remained in Japanese prison camps for 40 months, enduring systematic torture, routine beatings, starvation rations, and 34 months of solitary confinement. Only four of those men survived. Sergeant DeShazer had requested a Bible pretty late in this process. I don't know about you, but that's kind of an unusual request, I'm sure, in a Japanese prison camp. But he kept praying and he said, I just, can we get a Bible? Would you let us have a Bible? Would you let us have a Bible? And not long before they were released, one of the guards brought a little Bible and said, you can have this Bible for three weeks. For former bombardier DeShazer, that changed everything. He'd go on to say, God gave me grace to confess my sins to him and he forgave me all my sins and saved me for Jesus' sake. Suddenly I discovered that God had given me new spiritual eyes and that when I looked at the enemy officers and guards who had starved and beaten my companions and me so cruelly, I found my bitter hatred for them changed to loving pity. Upon his release at the war's end, DeShazer rushed home to earn a Bible degree. He'd be married in 1948, and he would return to Japan with his new bride, Florence, as missionaries to the Japanese people. The family ultimately settled in Nagoya, the very city DeShazer's plane had bombed during the Doolittle Raid. He goes on to say, How much better it is to go out to conquer evil with the gospel of peace <laughs> he knew what it was to go out and fight a battle, physical battle. But in this case, how much better is it to go out to conquer evil with the gospel of peace? During his ministry, DeShazer authored a track that was instrumental in bringing Mitsuo Fuchida, or Chida, the man who commanded the air attack on Pearl Harbor to Christ. His track literally was instrumental in leading. The man who led the raid, Pearl Harbor to Christ. Isn't that amazing? A few months later, the two were preaching to crowds together. The Doolittle Raider and the Japanese captain who led the Pearl Harbor attack, preaching on the same stage to thousands and thousands of people, bringing the message of God's sacrificial love and his power of forgiveness through Jesus Christ. I don't know what you've endured, and I don't know how you feel about the Lord Jesus, and I don't know how you feel about humanity. I don't know where you've been and and, and how many things have weighed heavy on your heart, but I can tell you this, the Lord Jesus Christ can change your heart. He can enable you to do exactly what he's called you to do. And can I tell you that that offering plate, it applied to DeShazer. That sergeant could have easily said, there is no way I'm going back to Japan. There's no way after the way they treated me and my fellow crewmen. There's no way after the way they executed some of my friends. I will not, no way, go back there and preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. I will not present myself to you that way. He could have done that, and many probably did. But I just want you to know today that Jesus Christ He sacrificed for us he sacrificed his riches he sacrificed his reputation he sacrificed his body he did all of that for you and I today he's asking us to do the same he didn't say it'd be easy I'm sure his road wasn't but that's what he requests of us and requires of us and he says you know what You'll be able to do it too. You want to know why? Because I'll be with you always. I'll be in you. I'll give you the very love you need. I'll give you the strength you need, the courage you need, the help you need, the hope you need. I'll give you the words even. As believers, we are called to sacrifice ourselves on behalf of others. And that spiritual battle still rages today, and souls still weigh in the balance. We can't afford to allow our prejudices to keep us from ministering to those in need of Jesus Christ. We must reach out and offer hope in heaven to all humanity. Like Christ, we must sacrifice our lives to the service of the King. This Memorial Day, we can't afford to forget about those who laid down their lives for us. We know this. It's important. We especially must remember his sacrifice. I wonder, have you allowed that sacrifice to be applied to your life? Have you at some point said, I know I'm that sinner that you died for, Jesus, and I'm asking you to come into my life Forgive my sin, save my soul, and take me to heaven. I want you in my life. I need you today. Jesus Christ is still the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by him. Neither is there salvation in any other, for there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. He that believeth in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. I want you to know today that without Christ, you're still dead in your sins and your trespasses. But he will raise you up. He'll give you life eternal. If you'll just call on him and allow him to come into your life and regenerate you, make you a new creature in Christ Jesus. He'll do the impossible with you. You're a child of God today. I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable unto him. It's your reasonable service, he says. Will you present it? Will you place yourself in the offering plate today? Will you give yourself a living sacrifice to Christ? Father, we come to you. We ask you, Lord, to be with us. We certainly need you. and After everything you've done for us, Lord, it's, if we really think about it, it becomes more difficult to say no to you. Father, I pray that you'd help us. Lord, help us to present ourselves to you as believers. To literally present ourselves as an offering. Put ourselves in the plate, if you will. To not choose when and where, but to simply just surrender ourselves wholly, completely to you. Or there may be some believers today that just have taken back some part of themselves and have been unwilling to give you it all. And I'm praying that today they would just say, You know what, Lord, I'm just going to surrender all today. I'm going to surrender it all. Just give it to Jesus and let him do as he pleases with me. I I want to honor him with my life and my lips. I want to present myself a living sacrifice. I'm going to step into that altar today and give myself as an offering to Jesus. And if there's those that are without Jesus today, I pray that they'd have the courage to step out into this aisle and say, I will not take a chance on my eternal destination. I'm not going to walk out the, the, the church without knowing Christ. I'm going to walk that out in just a moment. I'm going to let Jesus do a miracle in my life. I'm going to let somebody show me from the Bible how to be saved and settled. I pray, Lord, that you do that in a life today, that you do that in many lives. We'll thank you in Christ's name. Amen. Let's all stand to our feet, every head bowed, every eye closed today as the music plays. Come on, I don't know for sure if I died, I'd go to heaven. Come on, why are you? Don't take a chance. Seven.